listening to The Rick Z Show. I'm your host, Rick Z. Welcome back to part two of our interview with Pamela Sue Mann. You know, when I listen to an <laughs> album, I like to try to pick the single, like guess oh. what it is. And I didn't guess <laughs> oh. that song. I guessed I'm Coming For You as the single. Wow. Okay. Oh, my goodness. Well, what's really funny about that is that was sort of written as a funny exercise. That song was not meant to be on the album. Wow, well, I'm glad it is. <laughs> it was, um, and it was kind of embarrassing when, because it, it's, you know, sometimes you, you write things, I think, that are maybe an aspect of yourself, but an aspect of yourself you like to keep hidden. and Or you might think that's so silly or cheesy or, or uh, pornographic or whatever, mm-hmm, and you think, mm-hmm. I can't possibly do that. And in this case, a few of my close friends that were sort of consulting with me on the album, they said, you can't not do this. You have to do the song. And um, this amazing drummer, Sterling Campbell, played on it. I sort of gave him the choice of what songs he spoke to him that he would like to play on. And he said, this one. I said, well, I'm not sure if this one's going to make it on the album. He said, you have to do it. So so we wound up doing that song and putting it out. And then Steve-O from Give Me That Sound Productions did a remix of it that was brilliant. It's much more obviously, I guess you'd call it pop. And it's also tongue-in-cheek in a way that Prince might do a tongue-in-cheek sort of song. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I veered away from that because maybe it's obvious but to me it's still kind of silly and it operates on a lot of different levels well i'll tell you how it struck me when i listened to it (laughs) i thought of that catch line at the very end the climax of the chorus was at least in this this song (laughs) i'm coming for you at least in this song Uh and how i took that was that when you write songs I, I don't know I feel like songwriters don't write reality they write what they want reality to be mm-hmm. you can have it your way in your song outside of the context of your song you can't always and I kind of took it that way that's very astute and it's absolutely true because then again it turns in on itself saying well at least in the song so you know you're not sure if it's true or if it's not true and I think that happens with a lot you read these stories and poems from these writers and you're like wow, did you really live that life? Or did you live that life in your head? Mm. And you may never know, and they may never say, or hundreds of years later you may read in their memoirs that they may have lived it or not. But that's what we kind of create. That was so well put, you know, that we can do that in our heads whether it's happening for real or not. I mean, that speaks to so many different interpretations of of music that people have. I mean, I'm open to all sorts of things when people mention things about about my music. Mm-hmm. I, I don't always see it, what they see. But I try not to burst their bubble because that can be very important to people to, to see it the way they need to, as we were talking about before. And there's so many songs on this album I want to talk about because there's so many good ones. I think of Ouch is very interesting. Thank you. And Ouch, something interesting about that, I've written down in my notes, mm-hmm. from a whisper to a scream. What's interesting about that is your vocal style, you have this kind of whispery style, but then, you know, if you didn't know better, you'd think, well, I wonder if she can really sing, because she's not really singing out. But then there are these moments in the songs where these notes come out, and you're like, wow, she, she's got the goods. She could do it every time, <laughs> but you choose not to. And I'm observing that uh-huh. everything is kind of, the emotion is kind of tucked in, and then it's quiet, it's it's under the surface, and then all of a sudden it comes out. You know, it's like I'm fucking walking on shards. And it's and it's cool. But then it goes away and it comes back down and it tucks itself back in again from a whisper to a scream. I mean that it's Wow. It's very emotional. So where does that come from? How is it that you write 
on an unconscious level, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden you surface for a second, and then you go back <laughs> under. You're like that, a submarine a, of songwriters. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Well, I think you just you're, you allow yourself to, to lose it for a moment, and then you rein yourself back. Yeah. And you're like, okay, that's all right. I, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm always really drawn to artists that are understated, that could do so much more and could do everything, and they choose not to. Mm-hmm. You know. <laughs> okay. I mentioned that whisper equality, for lack of a better word, that that you invoke with your uh, voice. Do you achieve that through specific microphones? As a producer of the album, how much do you pay attention to the equipment that you use, particularly on your own voice? Well, I think the singers that I know that record their own vocals, because some singers actually, even though they have access to great studios, they choose to record their own vocals because it's such an intimate process. Two singers I think of that that do this sometimes. Uh, well, one is Donna Lewis, who I love and I think is an incredible singer. Absolutely. Another one is someone I don't know, didn't have the honor to to meet, uh, which was George Michael. I was told that he does it all himself. He did it all himself and then would give the finished product. So I think for me, out of necessity, because I just didn't have the ability to be in the studio for hours and hours and hours and you know work with someone getting getting that sound i think i cultivated over years because i did invest in a really great neumann microphone and so i was able to have that and then some outboard gear which enabled it to you know like a compressor and enabled it you know to produce the best sound possible because i have a very small voice and a very intimate voice. You know, it's interesting. Sometimes we think our, what becomes true is that initially we feel we have these things that are limitations or make us not as good as. And what happens is if you stick with that and you develop that, you understand who you are and you realize that that's actually your unique sound. And if you cultivate it, then you make the most of how it comes out and capture it. And that's the beauty and the magic of recording. Because you can wow. take a voice that seems like it's it's not Aretha Franklin. It's actually a very quiet voice, but it has nuance. And I found that I worked with the, you know, the great David Barron who said to me, he said, you know, you do sing so quietly, but not everyone can sing in tune quietly. And it's, it's the only reason I can do that is because that's all I could do. And so I developed that over many years of being able to sing in tune at a sort of whisper. So, you know, you, you do anything long enough, to, was it 10,000 hours? Then you can, you can get to a certain level of being able to do it proficiently. And I think that with me, that's what I do. You must have very good breath control to be able to do that. <laughs> I don't really know. Well, I, 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 would, think, I would think so. Um, I, I swam a lot when you, I was young. You mentioned George Michael. Uh-huh. I miss George Michael. I miss all yeah, those guys. You know, I know. Whitney and Michael and everybody. Uh, so Prince, where, where'd they all yeah. go? George Michael, I want your sex. I want your soul. <laughs> coincidence? I'd like to Total think coincidence. Okay. Coincidence. <laughs> you know, back to Ouch for a second. There's a point uh-huh. I was going to make about Ouch. It's such an uncomfortable song. <laughs> Oh, oh, by the way, Literally. Speak, speaking of com- uncomfortable, my stomach is making the craziest noise. I can't noises. hear it. It's, it's, oh, it's, <laughs> it's a duel between th- the, the passing thunder and his stomach right now. It's crazy. It's a Maybe duel. it's the thunder that you think is your stomach. No, no believe me. <laughs> I, this isn't new. <laughs> ouch is a very uncomfortable song. I mean mm-hmm. that in a good way. It's supposed to be uncomfortable. It hurts. Ouch. You know, right? I mean, oh, that sounded dumb. Um. <laughs> no, it didn't at all. It did not sound dumb at all. <laughs> the reason why I bring it up is you have uncomfortable sounds 
going on in the song behind your vocals. I mean, it sounds like you're letting the air out of a balloon or something. <laughs> I was trying to figure out, is yeah. that brass? Is that keyboard? Is that guitar? Is that Jerry? Who, that is the it? incredible Paul Cutterford. Paul Cutterford? Um, yeah, Paul and Terry. Um, so Tom, Tom Wilcox, who is the label um, Maniac Squad, who put this album out, invited me to come to London and record with other musicians. And that was phenomenal because... I felt like I was meeting our cousins overseas. I feel like we have a family of musicians here that we tend to work with and people we've known for many years. But for me, it was step outside of my comfort zone, go into a place with this other community. It's still a loving community, but I had never worked with these people. And for me, it's always been really important that if someone works with me, they work with me because they get what I do, mm -hmm. not because I might be able to pay them a tiny amount of money or yeah. something. They they have to resonate with it. And if they don't resonate, then I wouldn't want them to, you know, to to work on my stuff. It's it's so intimate and they, they have to feel it, else it just probably seems like something ridiculous they'd rather not do. So I got together with, with Paul and with Terry and... Um, recorded in Paul's studio in his in his home and we got so silly because I just we <laughs> we came up with this crazy hobbly orchestra of strange instruments and he played so much more actually I'd really like to take that and do like a outtake bleeper version of that because we have strange recorders and all kinds of instruments <laughs> you know playing and and it was almost like our little ridiculous marching band of, of weirdo instruments and I wanted it to sort of come out as the sort of like a, a marching um what do you call it almost um what's the word for it um pageantry and ceremony you know where you have the strange instruments marching along mm -hmm. uh, again it's a it's a visual so i think with me it's almost maybe cin cinematic or dramatic or visual that whatever's going on is a sort of soundtrack to what i'm singing about do you visualize stuff a lot while you write very much so no not necessarily instrumentations but when I'm writing the lyrics, when the music and the lyrics are there, I'm definitely visualizing the lyrics. And then when the production comes, I'm definitely visualizing. Like with, with me, it's almost like I write a lot of synth parts. So the synths are like little characters and they have a voice. They're, they're singing their little part. They're not speaking with words, but they're speaking with their sound. So they're like little characters, <laughs> yeah. and they all have something to say, and they have to say it at the right time. Well, I understand that. Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> that could seem a little like, woohoo. No, no, you know. not at all. You're an artist. <laughs> this is how it is. Let your freak flag fly. Yes. yes. I don't, I don't that, that totally doesn't apply here. I, it's so weird. Especially no, mine. no, no, it does. Yeah. Especially my flag, which is non-existent <laughs> at this point. I don't you know, believe that. A lot of quote-unquote yeah. alternative artists, and I think this probably started with like Seattle grunge or something, mm -hmm. is it's kind of a, a, been almost a trend I've noticed that the artist tries to distill their what, what they're trying to say with the song down into one-word titles. And that always intrigued me because there's a lot of power behind a one-syllable word sometimes right, if it's right. the right one. I mean, for example, some of your songs, you've got Flash, <laughs> uh, Breath, Blind. Oh, blind. I like that one. Um, you got uh, crazy. You got guilty. I mean, I mean, all these one word titles are all on the same album. In fact, where does this come from? I, did, I didn't have a very big vocabulary. At the time. <laughs> no, that's completely not true. Completely not true. Why distill it down to one thought or one idea? Is there a reason for that? Or is it just does it make a cool title? I think that 
tends to be what I do. Again, when I was working with, with David Barron, I was playing piano and he said to me, oh, your, your style is very interesting. It's very essential. Hmm. And I kind of giggled because I thought, oh, it's because I can't play. <laughs> so I just play you know, the few notes I can play. But I think that's what it is. It's, it's, um, I think I desperately want to be a minimalist for myself. And I want to, in as few words as possible or notes, put something across that is the essence of what it is the thing is about. Like a, um, the great late Jimmy Zhivago, he described my songs as vignettes. He was like, it was like a little world. It's like a vignette. And I so, so I think that's what happens is there's this instinctive inherent need for me to authentically distill something down into the, is that alchemical? <laughs> I don't know. Like this, the clearest, most pure form of what it is. Simplest thing title of your album break mm -hmm. i made a, a remark about the coming coronavirus and we all as musicians had to take a break mm, yeah. forcibly unfortunately what did you do during the coronavirus did you continue to write were you creative what was it like for you we fled, you fled. <laughs> so we we had actually moved down to the city in july for my daughter's schooling so we were kind of ensconced and going back to the city for a time and then everything started happening and and uh, the schools shut down and we had someone renting our house and they left and it worked out and we just fled up to the house now what i didn't realize we were down in the city i didn't have my piano so i would go to piano practice rooms but i was desperately missing the piano Desperately, I was longing for it. So the first thing that I did when I came back up was I just ran over to it and sat down and just started playing and playing and playing. So that's, you know, that spawned writing. Uh, so I, I started writing. Now, a lot of fellow creatives that I've spoken to for different reasons, we've all returned to our art, our own personal art. And I think uh, for other artists that spend their lives touring with musicians or playing with everybody else and don't get the time or take the time for themselves to create their own music or return to projects they've started, it was the perfect time because you can't tour. And at first, you know, you couldn't play with other people. No one was even really doing that. Everyone was just sheltering, mm -hmm. sheltering in place. Yeah. Um, so y people were one by one, everyone's opening their vaults, which is so beautiful. Everyone's returning to what they've left behind because we've all been spinning around out in the world and we can't do that right now. So we're returning to our souls. We're returning to our writing and ourselves. And I think that's what a lot of people have been doing. For me, I, I've always lived in my head and I've continued to live in my head and write every day, you know, write words every day. So that didn't change for me. It was just the ability to sit down at the piano and then record because we have a studio and return to that. So I, I started recording and writing a lot. I think the clubhouse is getting a lot of work now from people that have been working on their material all mm -hmm. through the coronavirus at home. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's so good to know. Do you yeah. feel a good writer writes every day? A little bit, even as an exercise, not necessarily to write a song, a finished piece. Well, it's interesting, you know, the, the, the Leonard Cohen School of Thought or Jean Cocteau is, you know, they would work at their craft every single day and go to work, roll up their sleeves and work. Um, that's so hard to say because some don't. I mean, some some authors don't write books for years and years and years. But what you're, and I did take a break myself. And I think what happens is you're constantly living and input is going in constantly. So you're actually, 
growing, but you may not be having output every single day. Personally, as a writer of words, I have found since I made my vow to a page a couple of years ago, I actually wrote this sort of love letter to the written word and a declaration that I was going to write until the day I died or until my wits left me. I have been writing something pretty much every day. And it's born out of a need to, and I share my verse and poetry with my very tolerant, close friends. Who <laughs> I, you know, I send them texts. But it has actually tremendously helped my ability to call words in immediately because I'm doing it every day. So it's that sort of thing. You're, you're, you're working out. The muscle is, is ready, and you're fluid, and it's loose, and you can call on it immediately. And I think that's what daily practice does you know great great musicians that sure. spend hours daily they just have access to it they stay in the zone yeah exactly in the facility and all of that you know your 1999 album pamela suman and and luf from 05 were associated uh, as i was doing research with cosmic kin which i thought was the label that those albums are on but that's not a label that that's a band well it's a lot of things cosmic kin has has morphed into a lot of things and it started out as a band and then it became um, my publishing company as i didn't have a label i sort of made it i folded it into the label and then as i would start licensing my songs to different labels the cosmic kin was really more of a publishing company and now there's kin <laughs> which is sort of a spun off from that and it's kin is like a collective of different musicians so we do projects and maybe it's not always the same writers or singers or musicians it's kind of a revolving cast but under the blanket of this project called kin hmm. That's but interesting. yeah, Cosmic Kin was a band. The band was initially Calliope, and then the Goodies, and then and then Cosmic Kin. And it was basically um, myself and Byron Isaacs and different musicians that we'd bring in through many, many years. And then it turned into sort of morphed into Pamela Suman because she finally had to sort of come out of her cave in the trees and come out of hiding and 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 actually be herself. You know, she was too shy for many, many years to do that. And then finally she just said, okay, what the hell? <laughs> Pamela C. Man, it is. And then I became me. And you became you. <laughs> yeah. Your latest album, out. Break, is on Maniac Squat Records. Mm -hmm. That's your new label. How long have you been with Maniac Squat? And by the way, Maniac Squat, what a, what a great name that is. <laughs> I think that these independent labels and their crazy names started with Frank Zappa and Barking Pumpkin Records and then... There was Happy Squid, and there's always some some strange names. Do you do you know where Maniac Squat well, comes from? Well, Maniac Squat is, uh, and this is why I love the English. It's it's rather rude in what it means, and I'm not going to say what it okay. means. Maybe you can look it up. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a term. It's a terminology like a punk or Cockney terminology or something. And um, Tom Wilcox is a phenomenal man, and he's he's just he's like an icon. He's somebody who just he gathers people together and he he makes projects and he he's worked with lisa ronson and worked with um holy holy and last day sect and a lot of people and groups you may not have heard of uh but it's it's a, a lot around um david bowie and iggy pop and and this whole great movement of music and he's a lover of music but he also maniac squad is a punk band it's his band um and so the label came out of i think he put the band on the label and it became maniac squad there's a lot of artists on that label that have that kind of ilk well you know it's interesting because i felt funny being part of the label and when he when he offered to to put my record out through the label i was so honored but i kind of felt like i was just maybe too pop or 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 
or too sweet to maybe be part of the really? label. Not that I'm sweet, but I mean that the music would be kind of too sweet because there were punk bands and then there's Iggy Pop and then there's David Bowie's musicians and they're pretty rock and my music is not particularly rock. Yeah, but I think there's a, a, a little bit of a punk edge to your music as well. It's uh, more so on certain songs than others, yeah. but I think it's there. Well, thank you. It's, it's definitely, um, I think for Tom, that came from the lyrics because he used to say that my lyrics were very bold and brave and I never thought of them that way because I don't study them. You write them, you craft them, you put them out there, but I don't go back and go, hmm. That's for us to do. Yeah, exactly. And then and then call us on it. <laughs> That's right, or compliment you. <laughs> Thank you, yeah. You're in a band with Donna Lewis. You mentioned her earlier. A pop sensation also lives in the Hudson Valley. And yes. I'm very proud to all say. All hail Donna. <laughs> that's right. All hail Donna. And she's coming on the show, and I'm very excited about that, as you are coming back with her as Queentown. Yes, if you'll have me. Oh, my goodness, <laughs> yes. I, I'm honored to have you guys together on the show, as I am today just having you here. So let's Thank talk you. about that very briefly, because we are going to do a whole show on it. I don't want to get too deeply into it, but... Are you more of the lyricist of that band, or how much music do you contribute to it? Well, it's interesting because I think Donna and I have been writing together for a long time now. Each piece we've written comes out through different means because she she is well able to write and record and produce from start to finish, and I've done the same. What ended up happening as Queentown started developing is that I sort of became her Bernie Taupin, um, <laughs> and, and then she would be Elton. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, she just has such an enigmatic voice mm -hmm. and uh very rhythm angelic. and cadence and, and angelic and yeah. it's interesting because our voices together work so very they work so well and we have different voices although you might say that they're in the same realm but she has an, this iconic Donna Lewis voice yeah. which you cannot mistake it's just gorgeous and Absolutely. so she started interpreting a lot of my lyrics sometimes I'd send her songs and she would just take the lyrics and then create another song or in the case of uh, this one song, uh, Post-Apocalyptic Lullaby. Which is the name of the EP. Slash Beautiful Sun. Um, I came in to David Barron and recorded the song with him. And then we were listening to it and going, mm, okay, it's one thing. Quite quite a sort of alt ethereal. And I said, you know, Dawn, like, you do the... Because she did this one with one song on my album called... Um, um, Blink and Materialize and she came in with the bridge and she just created this thing and I loved it so I scrapped the verse and she came in and wrote the verse so she wrote the verses and I wrote the chorus and then we had the music but the great David Barron came and, and produced that so sort of it created that third element it was just a beautiful beautifully cohesive uh, amalgamation of Donna and I and then David so David is kind of a third member of Queentown. Well, he, he's the third queen. <laughs> he's the third queen. <laughs> and, and he's basically, you know, he's in the production capacity. But David Barron does much more than production. You know, and he may call it this or may call it that. But he, he really helps to shape things in such a beautiful and unexpected way, which is so, it's so beautiful. So he doesn't, quote unquote, write. You know, it's really Donna and I, although I do believe that production can be folded in as part of the writing because you're really shaping the song. You're changing the, the, the landscape of it, yes. if you will. Yeah, Queentown would not sound as it does without David. You guys, meaning you and Donna specifically, have worked before Queentown 
You mm-hmm. guys have a song called Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed you do. Tell me a little bit about that. Wow, it was quite quite a while ago. Um, so sometimes we would go down into Donna's studio, and she has a beautiful piano there and keyboard set up. And I think this particular day I would sit, I was sitting at the piano and she was sitting at the keyboard and they were both on and we just literally sat down and started making sounds and creating something and singing because we're both, I think, highly quick with our inspiration. We're never at a loss for ideas. So I can't even remember exactly how that song came about, but it really was a creation born out of the two of us simultaneously. Um, and then, you know, we, we actually had a friend that was going through something. And I think as the lyrics started surfacing, we began to consciously write about that situation. And it, normally we don't do that. Normally it's, you know, with Queentown, I'll just send send her lyrics and poetry or something. But in this particular song, it really kind of was knitted together completely with the two of us and then it took on a situational life and then she's actually a brilliant video maker she has such great ideas and she's a great photographer I didn't know that yeah she's very visually talented so she had the idea for making a video and we went with that it's available I think if you know you can go online and find it was Uh, that that video where it looks like an argument almost? yes that was such a powerful video. Uh, those are two young Shakespearean actresses, actors, and actually one of them wow. is going to RADA now, and the other one's a professional actor now in, in the city. Yeah. And that was Donna's doing? Um, she conceptualized it, and we talked about it. Yeah, I think somehow Robbie Dupree was involved in that. Uh, That's I think strange. We <laughs> might have filmed it at a studio. You know, I, I can't even remember. It was so long ago. But yeah, she was. she really took the lead on that. Um, with the conception of the of the I think, video, uh, what was this coupling called between you and Donna uh, on that song? Indeed, okay, we came up with something that was Donna's Welsh, and we wanted to come up with something strong because we were also uh, making pieces of music that were. Uh, we came up with this Grania piece, which is about Grace O'Malley, the this Irish uh, po- uh, uh, pirate, actually, um, and so these strong women we were thinking about these strong women throughout history and and just what could kind of encapsulate that so we came up with Thwellen fix which became Thwellen mix so it's L-L-E-W like Llewellyn but the the correct pronunciation is Welsh it's Hmm. Thwellen and you can ask her when she's on your show how to pronounce that Um, yeah and that was uh, called Llewellyn mix which then later became Queentown let's play indeed okay all right, this is Donna Lewis, Pamela Sue Mann. Check it out. Don't you be the one to say it. You never did. Never said. And take away the weight of my mind. Or wish to be. And kill the day. It could be all we want, but there's a wasting window. It's closing in this time. Waking up, hands to the mirror, secret brave. Take the stand. And now I'm gonna be the one to 
So how is Break doing? I mean, it's hard to sell albums nowadays. Mm -hmm. In in November of 19, I also released an album. And it's so hard to sell, especially on CD. Nobody wants CDs anymore. It's got to be downloads. Is your label getting behind this as they should? Because you got to sell three to five million copies of this. I don't know if I told (laughs) you. You got to sell this because oh, well, we this, better. this could be big. I, uh, I hope, thank you. I hope Maniac Squat is really helping to push it. Are you getting airplay? Are you? Are, how's it doing? Well, right now we we've um, we've got airplay on BBC stations, and we're we're doing some big pushes and campaigns to get more airplay um, in. Uh, and the bigger BBC stations, but you know we're we're um, we're up for uh, <laughs> for anyone who might be interested uh, because we don't have worldwide representation in the sense that uh, the licensing. You know, he focuses a lot on the UK, and I never even approached anyone in America to to take it on. You know, so I guess a bigger a bigger fish to to really kind of get it out there to the to the universe through promotion because that's really what you need and getting on those playlists and Spotify would be great. But in spirit, Tom has been such a great supporter of my songs, of me as an artist, giving me so many opportunities, and he's just been really great. So we're giving it an honest go. It's available through Spotify, and I'm currently working on ways to hopefully make it gain momentum and and maybe make it more visible or audible to more people. Great. Yeah. Best of luck uh, with this album. I think it's wonderful, and I I hope it does very, very well. Thank you so much, Rick. Our time is ebbing away, so I, I want to play one more song off a break before we go. I want it to be your choice, though. Oh, goodness. I feel put on the spot. No, no, <laughs> no. We, ed- we edit out the part where we put you on the spot, and we just come right back in with the title. That's, oh, that's goodness. the beauty of ed- uh, Rusty's editing. Ah, well, the two songs come to mind. Okay, I have to choose just one. <laughs> you could choose two, and then I'll pick one. Oh, yay. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'd say there are two then. Um, one would be Firefallen, which is a lot of programming. And it's my homage to, uh, it's a love song with uh, my homage to, to James Blake, who I just bow to. I love, he's an electronica artist from Britain and I love him. Um, the other one would be Infinity Day, which is one of my favorites. And it's really a snapshot of a day, like a perfect day. And the infinity sign, which is basically I won't. I won't give away the chorus, but it's uh, it's how a moment can actually be forever. I'm going with that one. <laughs> Infinity Day. It is <laughs> Pamela Sue Mann. Check this out. Married daylight. I catch my breath barely. I stare right here in the Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Thank you so much for being here. It's so much fun talking to you. You're a really creative artist, and it's great to have a guest like this on the show because it makes my job really easy. Thank you so much for doing it. Oh, Rick, thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. It's been really fun. I'm really looking forward to the next time. Great, me too. You're listening to The Rick Z Show. I'm your host, Rick Z, produced and engineered every week by Rusty Johnson. And hey, thanks to Paul Antonell for hosting us here at the clubhouse today. We love subscribers and followers and click away people. Click, 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 follow, follow, follow. And come back next week, and I promise we'll have another talented Hudson Valley artist right here. We'll be here, will you? We hope so. We'll see you then.